Hey everyone, this is the Everyday Leader Podcast, where we hear from inspiring individuals building and leading teams across Africa. Today, I speak with Siaka William from Tanzania. Siaka is a project manager at the consulting firm Dahlberg. He attended the African Leadership Academy before going on to graduate from Yale University. In addition to his consulting job, he also oversees a youth-led impact organization in Tanzania that he co-founded during his time at ALA. In this episode, Siaka and I speak about his first experience leading a consulting project team, how Dahlberg has embraced flexible work, and how his passion for addressing youth unemployment in Tanzania has now stretched a decade. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, Siaka. Welcome to the Everyday Leader Podcast. Really excited to speak with you. So you currently work at Dahlberg, which is a global consulting organization. They do a lot of work across the continent. But before we get into that work, I'd love for you to tell us about a time uh, earlier in your life or your career where you experienced a leadership uh, opportunity where you maybe stood up. Saying it's an earlier part of my life would be a lie. Uh, I've started working full-time in 2017. Um, So when I'm referencing my sort of project leadership experiences that come in the last two, three years, um, an early an early example of that uh, for me was the first time actually that uh, I was managing a full team, so not managing a single person, but multiple people doing multiple work streams. Um, it was a project we did a couple of years ago, trying to identify big bets um, that could support a circular economy on the African continent. Um, it involved two parts: an external report which was meant to uh, influence, create some interest and momentum uh, and inform stakeholders and then an internal strategy development for our clients. Um, it was uh, a scary experience uh, kicking off uh, thinking, okay, now I have to deliver this whole uh, project uh, and the back stops here. Um, so my immediate reaction was to blindly trust the process. Um, the same process I'd gone through multiple times to submit documents uh, with the belief that it would help me uh, deliver successfully. Um, so we kicked off the project uh, and, I already had, uh, and I already had the team working on a day one answer. We were quickly going through the research. Um, and in the back end, I didn't realize that uh, the team was not having enough time to process the information. I was sort of leading the team at my own pace um, and got to a point where that started showing in the early outputs where there was a lot of confusion around some of the concepts and the themes uh, in circularity. Um, but luckily, I had, uh, I had good people. I still do have good people around me. Um, so my uh, project director uh, called me, set, set some time aside for us to speak, and uh, he gave me constructive feedback. Um, and we decided to sort of uh, be flexible with timelines and give the team a few extra days to basically understand the concept and the opportunities there. Um, the, the project eventually was submitted. I was uh, happy with the final output, even though there's always room for improvement. Uh, and my team had to sort of suffer through that learning experience with me. Uh, but one thing it's influenced on my uh, professional journey is uh, to uh, always be mindful of uh, my team when you think of this process, right? Uh, 
we do create processes um, in in an aspect to increase efficiencies. It's what's worked before, uh, but there's always an element of where the team is uh, and where they're coming to meet the ask from that needs to be factored into 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 that uh, setup of a process. Uh, but yeah, that was one of my first few experiences, one of my uh, uh, first experiences in uh, leading teams. Uh, and glad to, at least I think I've improved over time. I would have to ask my team to verify that. That's a great story. And you mentioned this concept of kind of dragging your team along with you. Um, how did you uh, get feedback from them? Because it sounds like you kind of knew that you were learning on the go and, and made different mistakes, but ultimately got got the deliverable done. How did you uh, approach kind of getting feedback and uh, acknowledging that you know you may you may have been in a, a management role of sorts at the time, but you didn't really know what you were doing. How did you overcome that, and how did you engage with the team, knowing that dynamic was there? That's a good question. Um, so uh, we usually have uh, project kickoff calls at the beginning of each project, uh, where outside talking through um, what is expected or what we're trying to get of this work. Uh, we also talk about uh, our professional development, areas of growth and strengths, and what we want to work on. Um, so one thing I try to do upfront, and I learned this from some of the previous managers I really enjoyed working with, was being honest about, uh, about my strengths and weaknesses coming in. Um, so I did mention to my team that this is my, going to be my first time where I am uh, leading a full project end-to-end, um, that uh, is likely going to come with some pains on their end. Um, I tried to create that uh, atmosphere where they felt like they could just uh, shoot me some feedback without it affecting them. Um, I was the first to pick up on my own mistakes and own up to the team. Um, and I think over time that created more of an atmosphere where they felt comfortable uh, either challenging some of my thoughts or coming in and telling me, hey, uh, we did this work, which I don't think was maybe very relevant to what we were being uh, being asked to do. Um, and then I tried as much as possible to create uh, periodic uh, check-ins, uh, individual ones with each of the team members, uh, where we'll just be trying to provide feedback to them and then asking them for feedback uh, on my performance. So that helped. Um, Still, those first few weeks uh, when you're developing your relationship with the team, sometimes uh, team members uh, uh, don't feel uh, comfortable enough sharing feedback uh, and they'd rather uh, do it anonymously when the office shares um, review feedback surveys. Uh, but yeah, my preference is to uh, at least try and address things earlier so we have time to react. You're, you've been in this project manager role at Dahlberg for close to five years now. You described an early uh, story of, of kind of how you were settling in, into this type of role. How would you compare yourself now uh, as a project manager? Uh, which of those best practices have you really mastered and which of those are you still kind of grappling with? Um, so I think uh, things that came naturally to me because of my personality type, um, and my natural leadership styles uh, have become strengths. Um, and those are things that still um, I rely on when I'm leading teams. Um, in particular for me, it's uh, 
caring for others. Uh, I, I'm not sure how else to frame it. Uh, so being very empathetic to your team's needs, I find that it allows me to build personal relationships quickly and then those foster uh, a positive work environment uh, where uh, you're able to both go through the good and bads of a project experience together. Um, I think uh, module management has been something I've learned on the role. Um, so an ability to manage your work stream, the overall project and help manage others. The areas I'm still learning to uh, work on are areas that every uh, sort of young manager would work, would work with. Um, so one is uh, strategic communication. Uh, there's always a change at some point where uh, you move from communicating your work, communicating your findings to influencing and changing opinions. Um, and it's usually that transition usually takes place in sort of the middle uh, in the middle management uh, level. So that's something I've been working on, um, trying to take more bigger picture thinking across my work and then tying that to uh, my clients and our stakeholders objectives. Um, other areas that I'm still working on, uh, some elements of uh, the leadership style that uh, may not be too natural to me. Um, I found over time that uh, different leadership styles are required at different times, uh, depending on sort of your context and the team. Um, I personally am a pace-setting, empathetic uh, type of leader. Those are sort of the traits that show off strongly based on my personality. Uh, but there's some other elements like, um, you know, your assertive leadership, uh, or your authoritative leadership that I, uh, I'm still learning to be comfortable with. Well, it certainly sounds like you uh, are quite self-aware uh, of your, your leadership traits and your personality style. I, I wanted to have you take us through what being a project manager really looks like uh, practically at a consulting firm like Dahlberg. So I guess two elements to that. What, what does a typical project look like? Maybe if you have some kind of non-confidential example you could uh, illustrate it with. And then also, like, what, how does the project manager engage with other team members? Sure. Um, and maybe I'll start with just a short description of Dahlberg for those who are not aware. Uh, Dahlberg is, we tend to view ourselves as global change makers, trying to make the world a better, more inclusive space. This usually manifests in us serving various communities, governments, and companies providing uh, a mix of advisory, implementation, investment, um, research and design services support. As a project manager, I help deliver on these projects that help our clients address some of um, the world's most pressing challenges, be it climate change or financial inclusion. Um, and on the other hand, um, I'm in charge of the development of our colleagues and my teammates. Um, so for projects, this means uh, at first, uh, ascertaining whether we are trying to write the, to answer the right questions. Oftentimes, uh, as consultants, uh, people uh, come to you with questions to answer, but at times those questions are not really aligned with uh, basically what uh, what is driving um, is driving their request for proposals or what is driving their mission. Um, once we've aligned on a question to ask, it is. Uh, ensuring we are providing them with the most impactful answers uh, based on that question. Um, for my teammates, it's ensuring that their professional uh, development objectives are met, 
uh, with a view towards their wider professional journey, uh, be it at Dalbago externally, and that the experience at the firm is positive uh, with a good like, work-life balance. Uh, an example of a project uh, that I'm working on currently actually um, is uh, uh, a program called the Climate Smart Forest Economy Program. Um, it is a program that is aimed to uh, address uh, or lead to improved uh, carbon impacts and environmental impacts uh, from uh, substituting the use of concrete and steel uh, with mass timber. Uh, it is a forest uh, product uh, program. Uh, mass timber is our first uh, sort of uh, area of focus given the opportunities there to uh, help build, uh, build better uh, with, with wood. Uh, but wood coming from uh, productive forests that have uh, the necessary safeguards to ensure there's no ecological or community um, uh, damages. Um, so in that project, uh, I work uh, in two ways. One is uh, the program is uh, brings together a, a, a range of organizations, uh, including Dalberg, uh, but others include the World Economic Forum, uh, Climate Cake, um, and uh, the idea is working across all of these various uh, partners uh, to one ensure that. Uh, uh, the initiatives we're supporting. So we support uh, a range of what we call breakthrough initiatives, which are uh, pilots or uh, businesses or opportunities that uh, demonstrate the potential for climate positive forest products. So working with them to ensure that each of the initiatives we are supporting uh, is uh, either supporting the vision we have as a program or is providing learnings that are relevant to that vision. Um, and then uh, as part of the work that involves stakeholder coordination across each of these different organizations, it involves uh, managing stakeholders and service providers who are doing carbon assessments, who are developing safeguards reports for us, who are doing different sourcing studies across different parts of the world. Um, and then uh, a second part is ensuring that as a program, we are delivering on our objectives so capturing learnings across each of these BIs, breakthrough initiatives, um, and then uh, sharing that or engaging the wider uh, forest economy uh, stakeholder or community um, to bring that to life. So that's uh, what we, that's what sort of a project manager would do. Um, and that's sort of on the project experience, but then I also have team members that I work with, uh, my job would be to make sure, one, they're building the content expertise of the sector, uh, make sure that uh, they're uh, practicing sort of their areas of growth. So if a team member came to me and mentioned strategic communication as an area of growth, that would be uh, on me to ensure I'm providing opportunities for them to practice that, um, and then ensuring that their time uh, while working on the project um, has uh, a good work-life balance and they're still able to uh, maintain positive uh, uh, and uh, meaningful uh, lives outside of work. And how is your team uh, embracing, you know, trends related to the future of work? So obviously your team is uh, global and international and involves a lot of different projects who each involve many different types of stakeholders and clients. How are you making sure that you uh, are on the forefront in collaboration and technology when it comes to servicing uh, your project clients? 
constantly pushing our capabilities to uh, try and uh, be best suited to answer our clients' uh, questions uh, and meet their objectives. Uh, sometimes this means uh, as a company, we uh, either work with or eventually integrate uh, or develop capabilities that we don't have. Um, so for instance, uh, way uh, a long time ago, uh, one of the first few businesses that was um, uh, developed uh, was the advisory unit. Um, but over time, we realized that uh, you can give people strategic advice, you can help develop them, you can help develop strategies for them. Uh, but if there's no uh, follow through with implementation, most of the work we do uh, loses impact. Um, so we incubated and developed uh, an implementation business uh, that allows us to do, to do just that. Um, we eventually realized that uh, to really develop uh, inclusive solutions that uh, are focused on the end user, uh, we need to have some human-centered design capabilities, uh, which is something that the firm acquired when um, they uh, merged with uh, Frog, which was a, a fully HCD-focused firm and brought those capabilities internally. Um, so we are constantly trying to innovate on our offerings to ensure that we are able to um, uh, offer the best answers to our clients. Um, so that's from a, a, a firm perspective. Uh, in terms of uh, future trends, uh, particularly of work, uh, the firm has been very flexible uh, with creating a customized um, journey for employees which means uh, as, as, as uh, time goes, uh, globalization spreads um, with the current uh, effects of the pandemic, uh, you are seeing a lot of changes in what the workforce wants from their employers. Um, one of the key things we are noticing is uh, this need to be able to customize your own experience, uh, whether that means, hey, uh, I can only work four days a week because I have, I don't know, family commitments on a Friday, uh, or uh, I need to uh, transfer to a different office uh, for a few months. I need to travel and work uh, remotely for a few uh, for a few months. Uh, the firm has been very open to that, um, which. Uh, at least for my colleagues who've been uh, able to take up or ask for these customized experiences has been very helpful for them. Um, and then secondly, I think there's uh, a change, uh, at least from, and it may, it may, I, I'm not sure whether this is an industry-wide change, but from the people I've spoken to, some of the people um, in their 20s and early 30s, uh, there's definitely a change in um in, in, in thinking about employment, it used to be what the farm can, uh, what you could do for the farm. It's uh, flipping towards uh, what the farm can do for you. Uh, so increasingly, we are trying to uh, uh, craft uh, people's times at Dalba to ensure that it is maximizing uh, on what they envision uh, their professional journey to be. Uh, whether it is uh, I, I'm coming to Dalberg to learn uh, consulting skills or to take a problem-solving approach, um, and then I want to take that and start my own company, or I want to take a, a year-long sabbatical from work to go and try this really cool thing I found. Uh, over, over time, I'm seeing the firm being more and more open to changing um, and to creating flexible environments for people like that. Uh, so people are able to both 
have a, a, a meaningful work experience and also pursue uh, the other goals, whether those are aligned or non-aligned to work. That sounds fascinating. Uh, how have you taken advantage of this customization? <laughs> uh, I am a new father. Uh, it has been a blessing in disguise. Uh, you may have heard baby cries at some point uh, in the background, uh, but I, uh, I'm still working from home since the pandemic. I will make the occasional visit to the office to see people, uh, maybe do some uh, admin tasks that I, uh, I need to be in person for. Uh, but that's allowed me, for the most part, to be able to uh, help with um, raising the baby these first few months and uh, also stay at work. Um, so I'm quickly able, when I have a break at work, help with changing diapers or something like that. Um, so I feel like I'm still involved in my child's life, even though I am full, uh, back at work full time. So I'm grateful for that. I know others have used it better. I have a colleague who is currently traveling Europe while working um, and they are having a blast. Uh, so I'm glad that they have had the opportunity for that. I wanted to circle back a little bit. Uh, you mentioned this idea of the culture at Dahlberg being uh, very entrepreneurial um, and you also mentioned some of the, the breakthrough strategies that you uh, were working on with a few of your projects. You know, given the nature of consulting and that you are servicing clients, how do you, as a leader, um, still make the space to uh, drive kind of bold initiatives and make bigger bets? It's, it's also a question that we've been discussing uh, as a firm at a global level and at uh, an office level very much. Um, we've, uh, over the time, been making a transition from mandate takers to mandate makers. Um, if, initially, as we started, uh, it was more responding to clients' requests um, and building the credibility. And over time, Dalberg has been able to do that. Um, so increasingly, we are asking what are the problems we need to be uh, addressing or uh, are passionate about and then getting other stakeholders around those uh, challenges. Um, two in particular, two big bets uh, come to mind for me. One uh, was on gender and uh, the other one is on climate change. Um, so uh, the uh, idea within gender was we realized that uh, when dealing with development challenges, um, there's always a gender lens to be involved and you can choose to be um, unaware of it. Um, that can have negative side effects in terms of solutions you provide are not really effective. Um, say you design, um, you design a maternal health, a mobile maternal health uh, program, but then you don't realize that uh, in some parts, uh, of the world, women uh, are, feel culturally more um, open to engaging other women, so you staff it with men, and then eventually there's no pickup of the program, there's no adoption. Um, so what we decided to do was to put gender at the sort of forefront in each of the work we're doing, uh, make sure we are uh, collecting uh, data that is gendered uh, across the problems we're doing, factoring that into our assessments and analysis, and into the solutions we are developing. Um, it, it, that experience was very interesting because uh, at times um, some of the clients we worked with uh, did not have gender as a priority. Um, and then uh, through our work with them, um, we basically were uh, 
uh, creating a fixed line cost for gender, uh, for gender, for gender lens thinking within each project. Uh, so clients would pay for it, whether uh, so clients would, would get it, whether or not um, they had uh, asked for it uh, in particular. Um, and over time, what happened was clients started picking up the importance of it. Some of our biggest clients uh, also over time have put in a gender lens to their own work. Um, and it's been something that over time has now been uh, taken up by the developing industry as a whole. Um, now, what we are doing is another, uh, what we think is a big bet is on climate change. Um, it's getting a lot of attention currently, yes, but it's still very underappreciated uh, based on my own opinion. Um, there's a lot of work we are doing as a, as a, as a farm. A lot of it um, is uh, work we do pro bono where we are investing our own resources in developing uh, new knowledge, expanding our existing knowledge, um, work we're doing in uh, trying to pilot some of the solutions, um, some of them that work, some of them that may not, even direct investments in things like clean energy um, that we believe would be worthwhile. Um, so as a firm, when we made this commitment, um, we became proactive. So instead of waiting for a client to ask for a piece of work, uh, we think what are the most pressing questions that need to be answered and then we try and find other stakeholders who also think those important those questions are important um, and then we work together to come up with a, a path to address those questions uh, and deliver impact on those things um, one of that uh, pieces of work is the forest economy work i'm doing which uh, comes from the idea of if you can create sustainable climate smart forest products uh, you can uh, increase investments in forest expansion uh, while not touching old and protected forests, um, which can conserve and expand existing forest cover. Uh, but there's a lot of other work that is being done across the farm. Uh, the partnership has taken it on them to find more work in the space. Uh, and we've created an entire uh, service line within the farm that is dedicated to keeping us up to date with the latest learnings in the sector. Um, so that's how we try to move from being mandate uh, takers to makers uh, and then trying to think of what a, a comprehensive set of solutions is, financing, technical assistance, policy questions, and trying to address all of that. That's really inspiring to hear that shift from uh, mandate taker to mandate maker, uh, particularly around the initiatives that you're driving related to both gender and climate change. So happy to see that. And, and I imagine that does give you the space to uh, make some of these bigger, bolder bets uh, and really drive the conversation and catalyze action. Now, um, we've been speaking a lot about Dahlberg, but you also um, oversee your own uh, initiatives uh, separately. So you attended African Leadership Academy um, before university, and you started several different initiatives uh, with one of them still going quite strong. Can you tell us more about uh, your work with Derecha? So as you may know, uh, a common theme across most African countries is youth unemployment, uh, a theme we've been struggling with for a while now and are potentially going to keep struggling with. Um, uh, one, at least uh, an element I am passionate about, a solution I am passionate about is the role of entrepreneurship in that. Um, 
and um, at African Leadership Academy, uh, one of the key things that we were trained on is, uh, is, is the exact thing. Um, we took this course called Entrepreneurial Leadership, uh, which is meant to help us uh, uh, pursue sort of uh, ideas and solutions we have in mind and then help others as well who are doing entrepreneurship, uh, who are problem solving through their businesses. Um, I, I joined Directure in uh, early 2011. Um, Julia Shirima, who uh, had graduated also at ALA, uh, had started it and we uh, joined in to uh, kick the uh, organization off the ground. Uh, we started with um, entrepreneurship training, so we would take the trainings that we would get at ALA and do uh, an annual training uh, of around 100 or so students, which kept growing. Um, we uh, over time realized that um, there's one element which is teaching people entrepreneurship. Another element of it is uh, raising funds to support these ventures. Um, so what we decided to do was to tap into our expertise in providing trainings uh, to help others uh, find money for their ventures. So. Um, we uh, sold uh, a program to uh, a company called Stock Start Oil, uh, 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 oil and gas company that uh, was trying to learn a program, an entrepreneurship focused pro program um, in Mtwara, uh, where they were operating. Mtwara is a, a region uh, in the south of Tanzania, mainly agricultural based with cashews. Um, we went to Mtwara, we conducted trainings for them, uh, and they paid us a fee for that. We took that fee and pumped it into a fund that would invest in businesses. Um, so we uh, invested in a few youth businesses, including a real estate uh, venture, a venture in agriculture, given its role in the Tanzanian economy, still one of the most underutilized areas uh, of our economy, in my opinion. Um, and we started uh, putting in investments uh, into those uh, youth-led uh, ventures. Uh, over time, uh, we've also uh, started exploring uh, opportunities for um, youth-led public companies, public-private companies, uh, so let alone the small micro-business that gets $1,000, $3,000, $4,000 how do you raise fifty thousand, a hundred thousand um, USD for companies? Uh, that led into the formation of the Tanzania Investment Fund uh, called TIF, uh, which is a company that uh, I am part of alongside uh, around seventy other uh, young people in the country, uh, where we basically came together. Uh, piled in uh, money uh, to get 100 plus acres um, in, another, in a region called Jombe in Tanzania where we are doing um, organic avocado, we're doing organic avocado production for exports. So that has been the journey on the entrepreneurship side. Wow. Um, I will say that, you know, many people start uh, initiatives when, when they're younger and maybe in high school or college, uh, but then over time they kind of fade out. But it sounds like you have you know kept going so i'm wondering what has uh, motivated you and given you that uh focus to continue over 11 years uh, building upon that initiative um a lot of it has been 
excitement for problem solving and learning from our failures. Um, uh, you know the quote, uh, it's only a failure if you fail from la to learn from it. Um, so multiple times we realized that what we were doing was not maybe the most impactful way, um, which for me was then what do we need to do to be able to do it, uh, to do what we were doing better. Uh, so starting off from, okay, uh, we are doing an annual training where we bring people in for a week of uh, entrepreneurship training, how to create a business plan, how to do an elevator pitch. Uh, after that, what happens? Um, we were also growing with our participants. So when we were starting uh, these trainings, most of our participants were around 16 to 20. Over time, the same people who come into our network are now growing their businesses. They are coming to points where they're, okay, we're struggling to raise capital for this. Uh, so the question is, okay, how do you help them? Uh, and what do we need to do to do that? And that leads almost to a natural evolution path. Um, but I also think having uh, people who are passionate uh, has, has helped a lot. So uh, having uh, Julius, uh, having uh, the other founders of TIFF with me, um, people who are with you and are committing, uh, are committed to sort of addressing a similar problem together has helped keep it going over time. Um, if you own 100% of something, it owns 100% of you, um, you know the saying. Um, so at least being able to spread the burden out and work with others has been a, a useful thing for me. Well, that, that's definitely uh, inspiring and, and very true. Um, and, and glad that uh, despite you know the many learnings uh, that you've kept at it. Um, and so you, you've been continually working on that and you've been uh, developing as a leader within Dahlberg. Um, how do you see your career continuing to grow? In the short term, uh, likely doing the same things. Um, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm very excited by problem solving. Uh, Dahlberg is a consulting firm that tries to address some of uh, the most challenging problems, um, is able to provide me with that. Um, I also have a growing team at Dahlberg that I am excited to see grow um, and help them on their professional journey as I was helped by those that came before me. Um, but on the side, um, uh, I'm trying to look at opportunities to leverage uh, both my Dahlberg experience and my entrepreneurship journey uh, better. So within Dahlberg, um, we, uh, we, we, we create environments and help our staff explore some of these areas uh, when they align with Dalberg and because youth entrepreneurship and helping uh, SMEs is a key part of uh, developing an inclusive uh, a society with inclusive growth, um, I've been trying to merge the two. Um, so in one hand, um, through my work at Dalberg, I am helping the Tanzania Startup Association um, pro bono, whether it's things like providing input on some of events, uh, they're trying to develop a startup act for the nation, uh, which would be a useful policy document to help SMEs, uh, particularly the MSMEs, particularly the micro enterprises that uh, dominate our economy. Um, I uh, I also explored the opportunities to create a Tanzania Angel Investment Network with Dalberg, um, which we realized um, there is a few organizations that are trying to do that. Um, what we decided to do was pivot to becoming a source of knowledge, uh, a knowledge sharing function in the ecosystem, which was lacking. We realized that people tend to operate in their silos. So if I made 
uh, my money in agriculture. I will invest in agriculture, even if there may be opportunities in tech uh, that I likely don't know. So we decided to play a part in bridging those uh, issues. Um, and I also support a few incubators um, such as Anza and uh, Aspen Network for Development Entrepreneurs. Andy, uh, uh, I sit on the board of uh, Anza uh, and I'm a, a national uh, uh, advisor for, uh, for Andy. So trying to uh, merge both my professional work and uh, my passion for entrepreneurship to try and create more sector-wide impacts rather than helping uh, a few SMEs here and there. Amazing. Uh, I feel like I, I've gotten such a great picture, a uh, great look into uh, what you've accomplished in such a short time. I'm just wondering as we start to wrap up, if there's anything else you would want to share with our audience, any trends you're seeing or uh, any you know special tips that you've learned so far in your career? I think uh, the key one, at least for me, has been uh, to keep learning. Um, things, uh, things are changing so quickly. Um, the impact of tech in both our work and our lives is changing so much. Um, increasingly, we are faced with problems we, we probably did not imagine a few years ago. We now are probably in the middle of potentially two pandemics. Um, things are likely going to keep changing. We're in the middle of a war as well. Uh, I think a key one for me, um, and a key one, at least I would, a key piece of advice I'll, I'll give to other people is to keep learning uh, and to consider, uh, to start uh, reconsidering their, situ their options when they are finding themselves in places where they lack that. Um, I think um, we, we tend to sometimes get to comfort zones. I'm not uh, immune to that as well. Um, and we are in a world where uh, if you do stop learning, the world would leave you behind. Um, it's probably the only one thing I would say. Um, but yeah, uh, I uh, do not have the privilege of as much experience as others, so I'm not sure if I have as much advice to give. Well, I think the, the advice to keep learning is, is quite on point. Uh, are there any uh, specific strategies you use to continue learning beyond just doing the, the work that you pursue? Yeah, a friend of mine uh, taught me this thing um, uh, called sacred time. Um, so a piece of time where uh, he, he, we, I, I, I picked up from him to do it in the morning. So uh, if my workday starts at, say, uh, 7, uh, I would start at uh, 5.30, um, put time consistently every day, even if it is a very small amount of time. Uh, to learning, um, we we do thirty minutes. Although he he he's he's doing way more time than me, he's gradually increased this portion of that time over time. Um, but the key one is uh, small uh, small uh, gains made consistently over time uh, compounds to much more than sort of your big stretches. So rather than saying, I'll take I'll wait until I have those two days off and I'll go read a book. Uh, do 10 or 15 minutes of reading every day. Uh, we do it in sacred time, so it's a time where you've not opened your emails and you don't have the distraction of work behind you. Uh, you don't have uh, maybe calls or people uh, because it's still early in the morning. He, he, he taught me of three things. So one is 
reading, the other is thinking, so journaling, um, and then the other is physical exercise. So he spent an, an hour and a half split between those two things. So 20 minutes and 10 minutes pause. Uh, so he'll, he'll start by uh, exercising a bit, then he'll read a bit, and then he'll journal, reflect a bit. A bit. Um, that, I think, has helped me as well pick up uh, more consistent habits for learning. Uh, and then as well as having others hold you accountable. So if you want to pick up that certification online, uh, tell someone who can be like, hey, how's it going? Uh, just to keep you accountable uh, to someone else. But yeah, those are sort of two tips that I've been using to making to make sure that I'm still learning. Perfect. Yeah, that that's super uh, insightful to to kind of reserve that time to uh, make small progress consistently uh, over time. Um, well, uh, thank you so much for your time today and for sharing your journey from ALA to Dahlberg and your other really impactful initiatives. It sounds like you're really diving into things and owning things and having an impact uh, across Tanzania and the broader region. So I look forward right. to continuing to follow you on your journey. And thanks again for being on The Everyday Leader. Thank you again, Chris, for having me. Uh, it was a pleasure. And I look forward to also learning from other people in similar situations across the continent.